We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible, have fun, and win valuable prizes and resources for yourself, your family, your church, or favorite ministry. Here's how it works. Listen to the Bible Live Scripture Reading Program. Weeknights at 8. Not a program about the Bible, the Bible itself. Hear a 15 to 20 minute reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Then on Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the past week's Bible Live readings. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Welcome aboard, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight for The Bible Live Quiz Show. We have been uh, reading through the scriptures this past week. We finished, well, we just almost finished. We've come down to the last, uh, actually the last chapter, the last, very last verses of the great book of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, uh, the book of Jeremiah. We read chapters 32 through 51 this past week. So, as always, our questions tonight will come from those chapters of the Bible, Jeremiah 32 through 51. And also we read from the Psalms in our Wisdom and Worship segment, we read Psalms 118 and 119. Now, of course, we didn't read all of Psalm 119. It is, in fact, the longest psalm. And further than that, it's the longest chapter of the entire Bible. And if I remember correctly, well, I won't. I won't. I won't tell you how many verses. Uh, we'll we'll uh, let you answer that question tonight. Um, but I'll be. I have in my hot little hand here the questions for tonight's program, and uh, welcome you aboard. It's just you and me tonight. Jacob is not with us this evening. I, Jacob is going to take some time now. We have been talking for some years to you now, probably maybe even a couple of years upwards of that about a book, or a, if I understand correctly, a two-volume book that Jacob has been working on for some time uh, with a Jewish or a Hebrew perspective of uh, the Old and New Testaments. Uh, very, very enlightening and a brilliant idea, and Jacob is definitely one who is qualified to write such a book. He understands from childhood, he understands the Hebrew. He understands the Hebrew history, Hebrew tradition, uh, the Jewish uh, uh, of the Jewish scriptures, the old, in particular, of course, but also willing to take and look at the New Testament, the life of Messiah, 
the Gospels and the, uh, the epistles and so on, and take a look at them from the perspective of a, a Jewish man, a Hebrew person who is familiar and knows the uh, history of the Jewish people, who knows the uh, context and the content of the Hebrew scriptures and uh, the culture, the language, the, uh, all of that background that help, would help him to look at the, Hebrew, the, at the New Testament even, the, even the New Testament passages, with that perspective, uh, a book that was written uh, about the Hebrew Messiah by Jewish men and women in the main, and with uh, with all of the references and with all of the uh, language uh, of the of the Old Testament, and be able to bring to us that perspective, which is see, so important because our passion here on the Bible Live Radio program, our passion is really this book. This is a remarkable, amazing book that we have. Sixty-six different books, uh, in fact. Uh, written over a period of 1,400 years, about about 40 different authors. But there is a single message, there is a single narrative that winds its way throughout the entire book. And principally, it is the redemptive plan of God, the Creator, uh, the true and living God, the Creator of this planet Earth, this privileged planet, uh, as it has been called. And He has created the race, the human race, with the intent and purpose primarily of drawing out of the human race a people for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. And so he is drawing out of the human race, those alive today on planet Earth, 7.2 billion people. They say that over half of the people who have ever lived are alive today. Kind of an interesting thought in reality. But God is happening all around planet Earth today, this Day in the, in the in the calendar year, this month of September, on this Sunday, as the uh, Earth turned and and uh, the sun makes its way around planet Earth, and we uh, as the day has begun and ended, what has happened around the planet Earth? All kinds of news stories, all kinds of things. People celebrated birthdays, uh, celebrating weddings and marriages, and of course there were deaths and funerals. All kinds of personal. Um, personal uh, events, personal occurrences in the lives of individuals and families all around planet Earth today. And then there were news stories from communities, from towns and cities, and this football team played that football team, and this soccer team played that soccer team, and and things happened in in the world among people, uh, different uh, communities and neighborhoods all around the Earth. Every incredible number, thousands and thousands of news stories uh, from local newspapers and, and uh, local sources about uh, local communities all around the planet. And then, of course, you get into uh, bigger stories that have to do with entire uh, states, you know, the state of Texas or Oklahoma or New York City or California, fires out in California, and this happened here and this happened there, and nations over in Spain and then down in Guatemala and over in Mongolia and Japan and, and all around the planet. Uh, there were uh, interesting uh, political and social news happenings all around uh, all around planet Earth today, and then there were certain events that are on the international base scale. They they um, have to do with international uh, conferences on the economy and uh, international conferences on who knows global warming and, and climate change and all these 
uh, all of these causes and all of these ideas and thoughts and priorities that different people have. But I only review all of those things with you to say there is one thing, there is one main thing that has happened all around planet Earth today, this day, this Sunday. There is one thing that has happened that is that trumps everything else. It, it goes beyond. It's more important. It has long-reaching, eternal consequences, and that is that the true and living God, the creator of the universe and of the human race, he is call, He is revealing himself to boys and girls, teenagers, young people, adolescents, single men and women, married couples. He is revealing himself to men and women all around planet Earth, and he is calling forth a response from their heart about himself. And he is calling out a people for himself. Those who love him, who seek him, who desire him, who desire immortality, who desire righteousness and goodness. Uh, those that respond to God as he reveals himself to them, God is calling them to himself. He has made a plan. He has made carried out a redemptive plan in time, in space. He has revealed himself faithfully and at various levels. There are... There are levels of revelation. Some people have what we call general revelation. The sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, the world around us, and the witness within themselves, man's uh, spiritual hunger, man's spiritual, uh, the spiritual reality that we are spiritual beings. And so we have all of this revelation within ourselves and in the world around us that tells us that God is there, and we respond to that. Each of us responds in our own way according to our own wishes, our own free will. And God is calling out of planet Earth. He has made a plan of redemption so that those who desire him, those that want God and want to honor God and love God and know God and experience God and live under his, his guidance and under his commands and to experience uh, his blessing, those that desire God truly in their heart of hearts, God has made a way for them to be reconciled to him and to be brought in to the eternal family of God. And that's that's what's been going on all around planet Earth. That is the main thing that's been going on behind every news story, behind every football game, behind every scandal, behind every international conference on economy or weather, uh, behind all of those things, this reality is taking place. From the up-and-outers to the down-and-outers, God is calling out a people for himself. And he's been doing that since the creation of the world since the creation of the planet, generation after generation, century after century, uh, year after year, decade after decade. God is doing that, and that is the story of the Bible. That's the background of the Bible that God, we see then in this book, the Bible, uh, we see the true and living God, the true, the creator of the universe. We see the record of his involvement in time and space, in history, he stepped into time and space. He involved himself in the lives of individuals, of couples, of families, and he caused there to be written, laid down, and preserved a record of his involvement. Uh, it's not exhaustive, not everything he's ever done. Of course not. And the, the, the sky itself, though it were made into a parchment, and though the, what was the old great song, the old great hymn, The Love of God, if the oceans were converted to ink, even with all that ink and the sky itself as the parchment, it could not contain the whole of, of the record of God's love and of his involvement 
in humanity, in the lives of individuals and in nations and so on. So, But we do have this record that is a true, reliable record of God's involvement, of his revelation of himself to certain individuals in certain times and places, and we have this record. So therefore, we can read the Bible, and we see the true and living God at work. We can learn, we can learn about his character. We can learn about his commands and desires for us as human beings. We can learn about his plan. What is his design? What is it he is attempting ultimately to do? And I've mentioned that. He is calling out a people for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. So we have this great book, and that is our passion for you to be able to understand this book. This book uh, has withstood all of the attacks uh, throughout all of history. It has answered all the questions. It has answered all the critics. It is answering them continually. Uh, questions have been raised and then answered about the book and about the dependability, the reliability of the Bible and its message. And uh, it is all about how you, yeah, you, sitting there listening in your car, driving across South Texas or the city of San Antonio or in your garage or in your home as you get ready for the, a night's rest, as you listen to this program, I'm reminding you that you yourself have that opportunity. That's the greatest decision you will ever make is what place will you give the Creator Himself? What place will you give God in your life? And this isn't just about fire insurance. This isn't just about you, oh, I want to go to the air-conditioned place and not to the hot place when I die. Uh, That's not the primary question, how comfortable you want to be or how how pleasant you want things to be. Uh, the The most primary question is, what place do you want to give God in your life? Are you willing to Sub, sub uh, submit and, and uh, uh, put and honor God with your life. Do you desire to worship Him and follow Him and obey Him and and experience His blessings and His guidance in your life? Is that your desire? Then you can, because God has extended that privilege to you through the redemptive plan that we see carried out in the Scriptures. Uh, but it doesn't matter how religious you are. We're not talking about religiosity. Uh, we're talking about that place that you truly desire to give to the Creator, to God uh, in your life, and your willingness to trust Him through the redemptive plan that He has carried out through Messiah, uh, Yeshua of of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah of Israel, uh, who came, who fulfilled the, the prophecies, carried out the redemptive plan of God to become the atoning Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can come into, by faith, that kind of a confident, secure relationship with the true and living God. And that's what the entire Bible is about. And so uh, that's what we're here to encourage you to do. Jacob has uh, my friend and uh, and uh, co-pilot here on the Bible Live radio program. He's taking some time to finish uh, because he's giving it, uh, some attention to giving us some of that, that Hebrew-Jewish background to the Scriptures. Our passion is to understand this book more and more, get to know the God of the book, the God of the Bible, and know him and experience him in our lives and give a true and accurate witness to him in our culture, in our society, in our world today. So uh, that's what we're about, and you can join with us Monday through Friday. We read through the entire Bible. We'll go right now from Jeremiah. We're going to go into the book of Lamentations uh, another book written by Jeremiah. There's a book of grieving. 
uh, upon the the fall of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed and the people taken into exile and tremendous amount of suffering in about 586, 587 years before Christ. Um, there, this this uh, watershed event in the history, it's one of the key dates of the Bible, uh, 586 B.C., when uh, Jerusalem is destroyed and the people go through an, uh, just almost unimaginable horror and suffering uh, there as a result, basically, of their sin and their rebellion against their God, against the God who had been so gracious and loving toward them. Uh, and they are, they are warned. They're given decades and decades, centuries, in fact, of warning, uh, and yet they insist on rebelling and um, against their God. Now, they were religious. It doesn't mean they weren't religious. They weren't atheists. They were all very religious, but they rejected the knowledge of the true and living God, and they disobeyed did not want to obey his commands. And so the judgment of God uh, fell upon them as a people. And we read all about it in the books of Isaiah, the prophets in the Old Testament. But principally, I think this man named Jeremiah, this weeping prophet, he is the one who describes the horror, the disappointment, the the pain, uh, the grief involved in this process of walking away when a people group, when a nation or a people walk away from God, uh, the misery that they unleash upon themselves. And so uh, I like the book of Jeremiah a whole lot. It's a tremendous book when you understand that background and you see this man. But another reason is because we seem to be going through that same kind of experience. America today also seems to be walking away from the true and living God. We have we have a very unique history as a nation, and I don't think there can be any doubt of anyone just even objectively looking at America's history that God has played a role, that he has been a a, a high influence of the formation uh, and the progress of America has been the God of the Bible. This book, the Bible, and its record about Jesus of Nazareth, about uh, the gospel of Jesus, uh, the, the the gospel has impacted and helped shape America to become the great, powerful, prosperous, rich nation that she is today. But we, over the last 50 years, we've begun a process, 50 or 60 years, of walking away from God. And we, it's been a long process. It hadn't been in a moment. It's been step after step after terrible step downward, a downward, long downward spiral away from God. And yet we insist on it as a nation. Our people and our leaders continue continue to walk away from God, from the commands of God, from the priorities of God in our uh, personal lives, in our homes and families, and in our society. And we are already reaping that judgment, the consequences of that uh, in our nation and the instability and the suffering uh, that we've already seen, uh, we are experiencing as we uh, lose that greatness, as we lose that influence, as we lose the blessing of God over our people, over our families, our nation, and uh, we will, uh, it looks like we are almost at that place where Jeremiah found the people of Israel. It's, it's, that, uh, it's that place of no return. At one point, God even told Jeremiah to stop praying for the people of Israel. Don't even pray for them. It's over. You know, it's the old song. What's that? The 
football commentator said, stick a fork in them, it's over. Turn out the lights, the party's over, the old song. Well, that seems to be what we're looking at in America. Don Meredith. Yeah, thank you, John, uh, reminding me of that uh, person. That, that was an old theme from radio, television, kind of humorous, but what we're talking about is not humorous. We are really on the verge of experiencing, we are already experiencing a great deal of hardship and instability uh, in our culture, in our society, and it looks like we are in for a great deal more. And I'm not, Soapy Dollar's not the only one saying that. Um, I think you even sense it, really. You sense it in the air. The, there's there's a struggle. There's something happening and going on. We've lost that confidence. We've lost that that um, that positive nature of, of God's hand of blessing on us. And we know that we've done, we've passed over. I don't know if we're able to turn back or not. I, I kind of sense that we're not. Uh, we have uh, we have broken so many of the very fundamental laws of the God of Scripture, and uh, you cannot do that without consequences, terrible consequences. So we'll see what happens in the months, years to come. Uh, our the next generation, this you, know, you young people, you're the ones who will reap the consequences, and uh, maybe the destiny is in your hands. What will you do about uh, our nation? What will you do with the Savior. What will you do about uh, in in terms of respecting and honoring God and bringing uh, the commands, the scriptures, and the commands, the priorities of God back to our society, to our communities, and so on? Uh, what will you do to help turn the tide, if anything? That's going to be the big question. Well, here we are. We've read uh, these passages I mentioned to do to you from the book of Jeremiah. Let me ask you a few questions. We'll put them out on the airwaves. Then we'll take our bottom of the hour break here and then come back and take your phone calls, 340-9585, 340-9585 if you'd like to answer any of these questions and uh, kind of get into the Scriptures, have some little fun with the with the verses, with the Scriptures and the principles there, and uh, also win some prizes as we send along some gift certificates from our program sponsors. Uh, let's look here in Psalm 100, and uh, let's look at... Let's let's ask this. This doesn't come from a particular psalm. Several of the psalms talk about the cornerstone of a building. Uh, when you read a psalm, it talks about the cornerstone, and you you know there are certain churches that have the name Cornerstone Church or whatever. Uh, so, what is a cornerstone? That's just kind of general Bible knowledge. What is the cornerstone of a building? Okay. And then look at Psalm 118. Who is the stone that is rejected by the builders that has, and that stone has now become the cornerstone? Psalm 118, verse 22. And you'll see this uh, passage is referred to in the New Testament over in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of uh, the Gospels there have a reference to that passage in Psalm 118. Who is the stone rejected by the builders that has now become the cornerstone? All right. Now then, let me ask you some questions from the book of Isaiah. Uh, what did God tell Jeremiah the prophet to do? Uh, he, he told him to buy something, to purchase something, as an expression of his faith that after their defeat and exile, God would restore, restore Israel back to their land. God told Jeremiah to purchase something as an expression of his faith 
that God was going to restore Israel back to their land. Okay, let's get another question in here. Um, while he was in prison under King Jehoiakim, with ending with an M, uh, who was it that helped Jeremiah write down his messages and then went to the temple and read them to the people? Who helped Jeremiah write his messages and then went and read them to the people at the temple? And finally, let me ask you this question. After destroying Jerusalem and taking most of the people to Babylon in bondage as exiles, who, whom did Nebuchadnezzar appoint as governor of Judah? You'll find that in Isaiah chapter 40. Whom did he appoint as governor of Judah from, Isaiah, uh, from Jeremiah chapter 40? I'm sorry. Well, there you have it. Five good questions out there. You can answer them. Give us a call, 340-9585. We'll be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. I want you to meet my friends at the Laptop Specialist. Pioneers since 1982 in serving the military, business, and personal computing needs of our city. Our ministry depends a lot on our computers. And whether it's repairs, service, upgrades, or even the purchase of a new machine, the James family and their great staff keep our equipment working, freeing us to do what we're called to do. Go to thelaptopspecialist.net or call 344-4563. 344-4563 for their two locations. The Laptop Specialist, Nature's Factor Carpet Cleaning Expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. Well, Elizabeth and I went to Express Lube, and our experience was fabulous. We got in and out of there in literally 20 minutes. When we went to work and we had got our oil done before, it could take us two hours. The service was very friendly. You can really trust them. They were super courteous. They vacuumed out the entire front of the car, which was surprising. I didn't expect to receive that kind of service. And their name is their game. Express Lube is accurate for the name of their store. And with 23 stores, there's an Express Lube near you. Join Barry Bass every weekday morning for the KSLR Morning Ministries, including Through the Bible, Renewing Your Mind, Truth for Life, and Focus on the Family. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on AM 630 KSLR and KSLR.com. But since we have this moment here at Heaven's Door, we should start knocking now. What are we waiting for? Let us pray. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. He is listening with love and he wants to answer us so let us pray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
This is the Bible Live. This is the quiz show. You're giving you a chance to uh, hear some questions from our Bible readings this past week and call in 340-9585 and answer those questions if you'd like. Maybe you have a question of your own about the Bible, about the life and times of Jeremiah, or any other question about the Scriptures or about what it means to know and follow the true and living God. Maybe you'd like to call in with a comment or a question of your own. We'd be glad to visit with you about it uh, as we focus here on the Bible, this great book of books. Let me run through the questions that we have out there for you. And you'll notice that with every question, we always give the text. We always give the Bible text where you can find the answer, or in most cases. Sometimes, uh, like this first question, it's a general uh, it's a general Bible knowledge question. It doesn't have a particular passage attached to it uh, because Psalm 118 refers to a cornerstone. I asked the general question, what is the cornerstone of a building? All right. It's spoken of often in Scripture, the cornerstone. So it's a good idea that we know well, what does it mean when the Bible talks about uh, a cornerstone? And then from Psalm 118, verse 22, who is the stone rejected by the builders? There is a certain stone that is rejected by the architects and by the construction engineers. But now that very stone that is rejected has become the cornerstone, the chief stone there, uh, and however you define the cornerstone. So who is the stone rejected by the builders who has now become the cornerstone from Psalm 118, verse 22. And I have given you some other passages you can look at. Matthew chapter 21, Mark chapter 12, Luke chapter 20. Who is it who has become the cornerstone? And then let me give you one more question from the book, from our readings this past week. We um, started reading the particular chapter in the Bible, and I want to ask you this. What is the longest chapter in the Bible. What is the longest chapter in the Bible? That'd be another question. If you'd like to answer, 340-9585. That's the phone number. Call in and answer the question. We could comment. We could talk a little bit, uh, visit a bit, but uh, mainly you can answer the question and uh, we'll be glad to put your name on our winner's list for to send out a little package of gifts and prizes to you as a way of saying thanks for being a part of the program. Now then, let's go to the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 32, we're told that uh, it, it gives us the record there that God tells, told Jerus uh, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, God tells Jeremiah to buy something as an expression of his faith that after their defeat and exile, God would restore Israel, restore the people back to their land. What is it that God told Jeremiah to purchase? Okay, and that's found in Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 8 through 15. All right, now, another experience in the life of Jeremiah. He was put in prison under King Jehoiakim, with an M at the end, as in Mary. While he was in prison under King Jehoiakim, who was it that helped Jeremiah write down his sermons, his messages, and then he went to the temple and read those messages, read Jeremiah's sermons to the people? Who was that individual? You'll find the answer in Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 4. Jeremiah 36, 4. Who was this famous 
uh, assistant to Jerem to uh, Jeremiah. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to this question. After destroying Jerusalem and taking most of the people to Babylon in exile in bondage, whom did Nebuchadnezzar appoint as governor of Judah? You'll find the answer in Jeremiah chapter forty, verse seven. Jeremiah chapter forty, verse seven. Whom did Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor, the king of Babylon, whom did he appoint as governor of Judah? Then uh, let's go. Let me give you maybe a question, another question or two. Trying to give you as many questions as I can that you might be able to answer. Uh, If you know the answer to any any of these now, give us a call, 340-9585. And uh, we'll get you on the air and let you answer the question and uh, we can visit a bit or perhaps, or, you, of course, you might just want to take your prizes and run. So that's that's fine, too. 340-9585. If you happen to be listening via the Internet uh, from anywhere in the continental United States, you can call us as well on the uh, 877-TOLL-FREE number, 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757, or, of course, locally again, Three four zero, ninety five eighty five. Let's see a couple a couple of more questions here. Uh, who? Uh, okay, over and over again in the book of Je- in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah predicts that uh, the great future events. Who did Jeremiah say was going to destroy Egypt? Jeremiah predicted not only who was going to destroy Jerusalem, but he also predicted who who was going to destroy Egypt. Who was that? You can find the answer in Jeremiah chapter 43, verse 10. And then uh, one more question. I kind of like uh, this question. In Egypt... Uh, and I'll we'll figure out later how they got down to Egypt, how Je- Jeremiah happened to be there. But while they were in Egypt, what group of Jews in particular, a very particular special group of Jews, talked back to Jeremiah, mocking God and promising to continue to worship the queen of Egypt? Uh, what group of Jewish people was this that mocked God that mocked Jeremiah, the prophet of God down there, and they promised that they were going to keep on worshiping the queen of heaven. Uh, That's found in Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 15 through 19. What particular group of Jewish people uh, just kind of made fun of of, uh, Jeremiah? They mocked him as a prophet, and they... uh, bragged about the fact that they were going to continue to worship a false god instead of uh, Jehovah, instead of the true, the true and living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what, what group of Jews, what group of people was it? Again, Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 15 through 19. This is one of just many ways in which, to a great extent, the people uh, in the times of Jeremiah 
reflect to, to a very remarkable extent the very same kinds of things and the people and the times in which we are living to now in America here in the 21st century. Yeah, I know technology has changed. Everything has changed in many ways. In fact, is people of that era would not even they could not even imagine uh, the lifestyle that we enjoy as modern uh, human beings in the in the 21st century. They could not even imagine uh, the technology and the things that we experience. And yet, with all of those changes, human the human heart has not changed very much at all. We still have the same human spiritual problems. And uh, that is why the scriptures are so very, very important to us. Um, let me ask you one more question. Let me ask you this. Who was the main false god worshipped in Babylon? Now, all of these, uh, whether it's Egypt or, or, or Aramea or the, or the Assyrians or later on the Babylonians and the Persians, uh, the Medo-Persians and so on, uh, all of these uh, nations surrounding Israel of uh, that era and that time, they were all uh, polytheists. They worshipped a pantheon of gods, false gods and idols. But who was the main false god worshipped in Babylon? Do you happen to know that? You can find the answer in Jeremiah chapter 51. That's a 5-1, chapter 51, verse 44. Who was the main false god worshipped in Babylon? So that's a lot of questions out there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine questions there from the Psalms 118 and 119 and from the book of Jeremiah. Uh, and I'll go back over those questions in a moment if you'd like in case uh, you didn't hear them. Uh, I'll put them out there again. But if you know the answer to any of those, give us a call 340-9585. I was talking to my son, uh, Sean, tonight and to my wife, Suzanne. We were visiting uh, the grandbaby was over. We were playing with the grandbaby and talking and laughing and enjoying a time as a family. And I was visiting with him a little bit about the Bible. Sometimes in the evenings they like to, you know, Dad, ask us, ask the questions you're going to ask on the radio and see if we know them. And so we, we go through them and they try to answer them. Um, but I was talking to them about the fact that uh, how important it is to be able to think through the Bible. Uh, we, I give this book, the Bible, a great amount of emphasis because I really truly believe, based on not just religious faith and a kind of a uh, superstitious faith, but based on history, based on uh, an evaluation of these documents that we have that make up this Bible, the 66 different books and the, uh, the the way that those documents were passed to us, the way they were transmitted through the centuries, uh, the way they were translated, the way they were preserved. Uh, I, I think there is plenty of just very, very convincing evidence that this Bible is God-inspired. God himself has uh, caused this book to be written. He used the uh, different authors. He used people, real people, in time and space, a, a man named Moses who was educated in the palaces of Egypt and then uh, forsook that to identify himself with the people, his own people of Israel, the, Israel, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God called him to 
lead, uh, to lead a movement, a political movement, leading the people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, slavery and servitude there in, in Egypt where they had been for over 400 years and lead them back to Canaan, uh, back to the land of their ancestors, uh, the, what is called the promised land. And so uh, God used Moses, this individual, his unique background, his unique upbringing, his unique experience, his unique uh, intelligence, his unique life uh, experiences and skills. He used all of that to write the, the Torah, the first five books of this Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, where they're called in our Bibles today. And then we have the other books. Uh, uh, when they came uh, to the River Jordan, Moses stayed there on the east side of the Jordan, and it was Joshua uh, who takes the people of Israel across the Red Sea, uh, uh, I'm sorry, across the Jordan River, Red Sea. I was thinking of that other body of water that God opened up for them. But he takes them across the Jordan River over into Canaan in that first great battle against uh, the people of the, the city of Jericho. So Joshua takes them in and initiates something about something about 25 years of battle and war uh, for conquering the uh, peoples of Canaan of that era. Uh, conquering them, uh, the kings of the south, the kings of the north. He had a very specific battle strategy that he followed. And uh, then uh, after about seven to nine years of active battle, they entered into a period of about 15 more years of kind of uh, cleanup work. They were finishing off the task of driving the, the, uh, uh, the former kings and the peoples of Canaan, driving them out and so on, although they did not do as God had told them, that they did not do a, co a complete job of driving the people out in their worship of false gods and their worship of, of uh, idols and so on. They did not complete the task as God had told them they should, and it created a great deal of difficulty for them, not only because of their disobedience to God, but the consequence of that disobedience was that they never knew peace. They continually were undermined. They were continually tempted away from the worship of the true and living God and for the blessings that he wanted to bring to them as a people. But uh, they, they were there for those 25 years. And then you enter into the time of the uh, judges. And uh, I, I was telling the uh, Suzanne and, and the kids there at the house how, how important it was to kind of get a sense of the history of the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, the Moses, probably around 1450, 1,450 years before Christ is when Moses uh, brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. And it was about 1,400 uh, B.C. when the Joshua crossed over into, uh, I'm not giving the exact years, of 1,400, 1,410, when Joshua passed over the Jordan into, uh, for those 25 years of battle, into, um, into Canaan. And then about 375 B.C. is when you enter into the time of the judges. Um, I, I, I meant 13, 1375. <laughs> 1375 is when you begin the time of the judges with, uh, that, that begins with, what was his name? Oh, um, what was that first judge's name? He was the uh, nephew of uh, Caleb, if you remember correctly, and he was the first of the judges. It was, um, 
I can get his name right here. Uh, come on, Sobeys, where is he? Uh, Othniel, Othniel, in fact, the first judge. And he, he, there's 11 men and one woman, and you end up with Samson and uh, the book of Judges. And uh, we go through that period of time. And then about 1050, 300, about 325 years under the Judges and ending up with Samson. And then you have uh, the little book of Ruth is also fits in there where even in the midst of all the darkness and all the, the uh, rebellion and all of the sad, tragic, uh, almost uh, j- just horrific stories of things that happened in Israel because of the people walking away from the God. The theme of the book of Judges was every man did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, and they did not allow God to lead them. And uh, it was just a very dark time, a, a long downward spiral uh, to to be again under subjection, to be overruled and so on. Well, they finish up the time of the Judges and then Samuel comes along. Samuel is that king. Uh, uh, he is that transition person from the time of the judges into the time of the kings of Israel, and from the time of the priests, the emphasis on the priesthood, to the time of the prophets, these great preachers who rose up and preached uh, uh, to the kings and preached to the people uh, that we begin to see in the Old Testament. But it was about uh, a. As I said, the judges began in 1375. It was about 1150, or 1050, I'm sorry, uh, 325 years later. That's when Saul uh, is anointed by Samuel as the first king of Israel, 1050 B.C. And you remember Saul. And in the, the good thing to remember about the first three kings of Israel is they each reigned about 40 years. Now, this was a little more complicated than it seemed because sometimes their reigns overlapped and sometimes their reign was partial. Like in the, in the case of King David, he reigned for the first ten, nine or ten years just over Judah and Benjamin in the south. And then uh, the other ten tribes of the north also uh, asked him to guide them and to, to take over as king of the, uh, again, he united the kingdom. Uh, the The people of the north uh, and the, the northern tribes and the southern came together, and so um, uh, we we see uh, in 1050 Saul becomes the first king, and then 40 years later in 1010 David becomes the second king of Israel, and then uh, 40 years later in 970 BC uh, his son. Solomon, David's son Solomon with uh, Bathsheba, uh, he, he becomes the third king of the united uh, nation of Israel. In fact, the final king of the nation united. And, and then in 930, when Solomon dies, 40 years later, the kingdom is divided and uh, Jeroboam becomes the king of the ten tribes in the north. And almost immediately leads them off into idolatry. They reject the priesthood. They reject the temple of a lot of a lot of it for political reasons, and they start uh, they establishing their own priesthood. They start start walking away from God and from the covenant relationship 
that they had had with with God, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so almost immediately, Jeroboam leads the northern tribes away, start walking away from God. But the southern tribes, because of the presence of the temple, because of the presence of the priesthood, uh, because of the presence of David in his lineage, uh, with whom God had established that that covenant, the Davidic uh, lineage, uh, within we have Solomon and then Rehoboam, although he was very foolish in that he drove the people uh, the ten northern tribes, he gave them an excuse to reject him by his insistence upon high taxation uh, and strong central government. It should be a message for us in that about uh, what we're going through right now. The federal government is destroying the freedoms and taking away the freedoms and the rights and the, uh, the privilege of, of the state's rights, of our individual states, and, and taking instead of a strong government based on the people, close to the people, uh, the federal government is taking increasingly great, great amount of power uh, and from the American people. Over the last 50 years, the federal, 50 or 60 years, the federal government has grown and grown and grown incredibly numbers of times. And it, it, we are exper- experiencing the, uh, the terrible consequences of that in our own nation today. Uh, but uh, there we have the lesson. Uh, we're told about it, warned about it in Scripture. Uh, but then we see the kingdom divided. We go through the period of the kings in the north and the kings in the south uh, from about 930 on to 722, about 200 years later, the kings of the north have uh, finally uh, uh, succeeded in destroying the, uh, the nation. They've taken the people away from God. There's incredible debauchery and immorality and perversions uh, and, and even the human sacrifice, the killing of uh, sacrifice of human children, and they are judged by God in in 722 B.C. Uh, the Nine, the Ninevites, the people of Nineveh, the, the the empire of Assyria, they come down and they're incredibly cruel and powerful, and they wipe out the northern tribes of Israel. They destroy Samaria the uh, capital, the final capital of of the ten tribes in the north, and they take away the people into exile, never to return. They take them away in chains, with uh, um, chains around their arms and legs and and, and their rings through their noses. They tie dead corpses to their backs and cause them to march with that. Just a terrible, terrible, cruel uh, reality uh, that God judges the people in the north uh, using the the nation the nation of Assyria the Ninevites and then uh, just about maybe what 140 years later uh, in 586 BC then God uses the emperor the king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar he uses Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Jerusalem and take the southern kingdom into exile now. As I said before, Jerusalem is strategically placed, Israel as a nation is strategically placed right there in the heart of these competing world powers. Egypt in the south, uh, the Arameans to the northwest, the, the, the Assyrians to the due north, and then the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians over to the uh, northeast. Right there in the midst of these is the people, the nation of Israel. They're set to be a witness for the true and living God in the midst of these kingdoms as they rise and fall, these empires. And then, of course, after the Medo-Persian Empire, then comes uh, uh, 
Alexander the Great and the the uh, Greek the Grecian Empire, uh, and then after when Greece is destroyed, uh, as predicted and prophesied in the Bible, then the uh, the nation of the, of Rome, the Roman Empire, begins to gain steam and take over from uh, pick up where the Grecian Empire left off. So then we have the time of the Roman Empire, which leads us right up to the time of Messiah. So you, I kind of just talked you through there the history of the Old Testament. Uh, 586, they were destroyed. And uh, 515, the temple uh, is Ezra, Nehemiah. Some of the people are released by Cyrus the Great, the emperor of the Medo-Persian Empire. They are released to come back to Israel, as was prophesied by Jeremiah, 70 years. And that 70-year period is usually measured from 586 B.C., the final. Uh, actually, there were three three invasions of Israel by the Nebuchadnezzar, starting in 605 B.C. and in 597 B.C. In 605 is when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that's when a great, in each of these invasions, a number of people were taken away, taken back into Nebuchadnezzar, uh, back into Babylon as exiles. And then in 586 is the final invasion and the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, that Jeremiah, uh, the prophet we've been talking about, he is a witness of it. He is there present. And the the city is laid under siege. The people suffer an unbelievable uh, harm and damage and, and pain, even to the point of, of cannibalism, having to eat their own children uh, from starvation. Uh, it's a terrible, terrible time, which was predicted. But then 586 B.C., and then 70 years later in 515 B.C., the temple is reconstructed there uh, by Ezra as he leads people back to Israel from uh, from Babylon. And the temple, that is usually the 70-year period that is marked from the destruction of the temple in 586 to the rebuilding of the altar in the temple there in 515. And then you begin the time of the post-exilic prophets, uh, uh, the last three prophets of... So we pick up there with those... Uh, uh, leading up to Malachi, and then we go into a 400 years of silence before another Old Testament prophet is raised up named John the Baptist, and he is the one that introduces us to the Messiah. So there you have it. I've kind of walked through for you in a very broad terms, but some of those key dates of the Old Testament, you need to remember those. 1450 uh, when uh, came out of Egypt, 1400 when they enter into Canaan and so on. Uh, we'll go through those in a bit. No one's calling. I'd love to get your call tonight, 340-9585. We'll review the questions you can answer for us when we come back. Don't you dare go away. Hi, this is Lisa Turker, the Proverbs 31 Ministries, and I'll be in San Antonio on Friday, September 25th at 7 p.m. at the Shrine Auditorium for a Girls' Night Out. Bring a friend, bring a group of friends, or just bring yourself for an evening that will remind you who you are, your role, and your incredible purpose. Brought to you in part by the Israel Ministry of Tourism. Come find the Israel in you. Tickets at kslr.com. 
There's a place you can go for good, clean family entertainment without leaving home. A place with no violence or profanity. A place safe enough to let your kids roam free. That place is the all-new GodTube.com. Your online family getaway for the best Christian comedy, entertainment, and music videos. With music favorites like Chris Tomlin. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. Comedians like Tim Hawkins. There's a lot of hand sanitizer in church. Anybody notice that? I don't know. At my church, they have these two hand sanitizer stations right by the front door greeters. That is not a good message. Your place for great music and good, clean family fun. The all-new GodTube.com. For good, clean family entertainment, comedy, and inspiration, the easy answer is GodTube.com. GodTube.com. Log on now to GodTube.com. If you need to know it now, surf on over to HotAir.com. Headlines, blogs, videos, and more at HotAir.com. That's HotAir.com. Get to know more about churches and pastors in the San Antonio area just by clicking on the Church of the Week link at KSLR.com. Hear the daily devotional and archive Church of the Week programs at KSLR.com. AM 630 KSLR, KSLR.com. They say every healthy relationship should have a balance of predictability and spontaneity. In fact, it is that assurance of security that makes the spontaneous possible. Your relationship with your car should be a little like that, too. With our industry-leading unlimited mileage warranty, your certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz instills a sense of confidence. You drive away knowing that you can keep driving for up to three years and never have to worry about the miles. Add to that our complimentary prepaid maintenance on select models, and your certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz becomes the ultimate carefree escape vehicle. Only during the Mercedes-Benz Certified Pre-Owned Sales event going on now through September 30th can you receive your first two months payments on us on select models plus three months of Sirius XM satellite radio. So hurry in today. It might just be the most predictable spur-of-the-moment decision you've ever made. See your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer for complete details and limitations on certified pre-owned warranties. AM 630 KSLR, KSLR.com, and on ChristianRadio.com. Tune in and the iHeartRadio app, your station for J Seculo Live. Weekday mornings at 11, AM 630 KSLR, San Antonio, a service of Salem Media Group. Got the time and I'm wasting it slowly here in this moment. is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. There's got to be more to life than chasing every temporary high. Great song, great reminder for us to focus and not forget that we are spiritual creatures in nature. We are not just uh, animals of this earth living uh, the physical, biological realm. We are spiritual beings. We have spiritual needs and a spiritual uh, destiny, in fact. And we need to be reminded of that so very often that we are spiritual beings and there is a, a, a destiny, a, a 
that God, the, this, the great spirit, has created us with a purpose, and that is to know him and to experience and enjoy him forever. And as God's people living with him, uh, it brought into that oneness relationship between the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, we know them as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are being brought into that oneness relationship that they enjoy, uh, one in their great love for each other. They are one in their character. They're in total perfect harmony in terms of their intent or their purpose uh, in, in their in their uh, desire for what happens, and they are also one finally in their action. They act together in perfect harmony, harmony and oneness, unity. And we, as God's people, that is His destiny for us. We are being brought into that oneness relationship, that oneness relationship with God, uh, and with His people, with uh, as God's people together. We will dwell together him in oneness and harmony forever. That is the essence. That is what makes heaven so glorious. And uh, that's the only word that describes it, glory. So uh, that's the message of the scriptures. The, the God of the universe is calling us. Uh, but the message of, of is not told in just a kind of a, a story form like a fictional piece of work. It's told as God acts and moves and speaks in time and space in history god has acted he has spoken he has revealed himself and we read about it in these great books of the bible uh, some of them are books of history the record of what god has said and what god has done a uh, record of, of people's responses to god and the consequences of those responses so some of the record we have this great book the bible is history uh, the story of events and things that took place. And, of course, you know some of those great stories of Daniel and the lion's den and Noah and the great flood and uh, David and Goliath and Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and, and so on and so on and so on. On it goes. So we have books of history in the biblical uh, library, and we also have books of instruction, books that are kind of like a manual, the owner's manual. Uh, he has told us how we function and how we would function best, what would be the key to our happiness and fulfillment as human beings, and he guides us and instructs us. So there is instruction about worship, about about uh, rules for living together and, and how we should care for each other, how we could treat each other uh, as God's people and, and in human culture and society, uh, where good and evil coexist, how we are to behave in this world as God's people. Part of that, uh, part of the book of the Bible is a straightforward instruction and guidance and wisdom. The Psalms and the Proverbs, for example, uh, are filled with advice and practical counsel about, about the different aspects of life, finances and romance and marriage and children and parenting and government and politics and so on. A great, great wisdom that is given to us there in the Scriptures. So we have history. We have instructions and guidance. We also have poetry. Uh, there are great sections where men and women express the, the the delight, the joy, and sometimes the misery, and sometimes the confusion, uh, and sometimes the the questions uh, about God and what it is to walk and live with God, the disappointments and the failures, as well as the victories and the joy and the delight. You find poetry that expresses the uh, the the thrill. Uh, and the experience of walking with one's creator, walking with God in life. And 
both the failures, the upside, and uh, I mean the downside and the the victories, the upside. They're expressed for us in the books of poetry. Then you have the preaching of these great prophets, these brave, courageous men who stood in a given time, in a given moment of danger. Of you know, stood and they shook their bony finger in the faces of the rebellious, proud, arrogant kings and politicians and and, and corrupt uh, religious leaders, and they, they denounced them and called upon them to repent and called upon the people to turn from their worship of idols and false gods and, and to stop uh, tr- wickedness and perversions that were taking place and to turn back to God, to repent. And they, they courageously... Uh, stood in, in, in front of, of great power, great risk to themselves. And some of them suffered a great, uh, Isaiah was killed. It is thought by Manasseh, King Manasseh of, of Israel. He was killed by Manasseh, uh, put in a log. We had evidently gone to hide or maybe not, maybe just placed there and then sawed in half, cut in half, uh, is the, as uh, Hebrew tradition tells us. Uh, mentioned, uh, the, it's mentioned there in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. So there, you have these uh, these great prophets and preachers who stood up and explained in, in the face, in given specific time and situations, and explained God to the people. And I was just coming to the end of the Old Testament. Uh, it ends with the prophet of Malachi, and then it goes for 400 years of silence, and then an, another great prophet in the Old Testament tradition raises up his name is john the baptist and he becomes the uh the forerunner he becomes the herald that announces the coming of messiah this long-awaited righteous branch this king this redeemer this savior that god is going to send to the world uh to not only to do a work of revelation to reveal to us about god tell us clarify more about god and his redemptive plan for us but also to carry out a work of redemption and that is he becomes the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world he becomes through substitutionary atonement which has been the plan that god has been revealing all those centuries through the sacrificial system of the old testament and so on he has revealed that he is going to redeem humanity there will become one who will be a perfect man a perfect man of perfect trust and obedience and submission to the father uh, with no sin of his own for which to uh, be judged But that perfect lamb, without blemish and without spot, that perfect man would take upon himself the penalty and the punishment, the judgment of humanity for our sins, so that as he becomes that substitutionary lamb, uh, the wrath of God, the judgment of God is poured out on him, and the righteousness of God is expressed in as Jesus of Nazareth voluntarily uh, humbles himself even unto death, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He humbles himself. He lives a perfect life of submission to the Father. And uh, even as the Son of God, he didn't have to. He was co-equal to the Father. But he humbled himself and lived under the yoke of faith and trust and total dependence upon the Father uh, for our sakes so that he could be our substitute. Then he who knew no sin, as Peter says, became sin for us. And so that is the story of redemption. He was crucified, nailed to a Roman cross, spat upon, humiliated, uh, rejected, and but he took our sin upon himself. He was suffering the penalty of my sin uh, these many centuries later. 
so that now and then God, God raised him from the dead. Uh, now he is the Son of God, eternal Son of God, but he he also earned by his obedience and submission to the Father the rank and the role and the position of the firstborn of the twiceborn, the firstborn of the redeemed, the new rede- redeemed race of humanity. He becomes the firstborn of the of the the uh, humans who are twice born into the kingdom of God, spiritually brought alive because of our faith and trust in him, in his redemptive work on our behalf. We are brought alive spiritually, made spiritually alive now, and the Spirit of God comes into our life and works, and he has now begun to work with all of us in this church age, in this time of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the Holy Spirit. When after Messiah had ascended to heaven, then the then I then the Spirit of God begins a new era. Before the time of Jesus, before the time of Messiah, the Spirit of God came upon different ind- individuals for a given time of, of period, a given time period, or a given role, a given function. Well, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus from the time he was a tiny little fertilized egg in the wall of Mary's womb to the time he died on the cross. The Spirit of God resided upon and uh, anointed the the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior. He never disobeyed God. He never sinned against God, giving cause for this, the Holy Spirit to abandon him. And so he established a beachhead in the human race, in the redeemed race of humanity. Jesus established that beachhead by his obedience, by his submission, perfect submission. Then now each of us who trust in Christ as Savior from the time of our spiritual birth when we come to Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and He resides upon us. He, uh, we're told He, uh, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, indwelling seems like a kind of a passive idea. The Holy Spirit just kind of hanging out there with us, indwelling. But the the word indwelling in the New Testament, uh, it comes from the root word of tabernacle. He tabernacles with us. And if you study the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you'll see that the tabernacle was not just sort of a passive presence of God in the midst of the, of the, of the camp of Israel. It was the powerful manifest presence of God in their midst, guiding them, protecting them, leading them, teaching them, instructing them, transforming them, and delivering them to the promised land, to Canaan. And that's what the Holy Spirit now is indwelling. He is tabernacling in us. He is guiding us as God's people. Once we have placed our faith and trust in Messiah, he is now with us. He is our permanent escort to glory. I tell the young men and women out at the United States Air Force, the basic trainees, that we get a chance to uh, talk with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them each and every year as as we talk to them about how they can know Christ and walk with him. Uh, and and know him and experience him in their lives uh, at at Lackland Air Force Base here in San Antonio. And and as we talk to them and tell them now, the Holy Spirit is is now our permanent wingman. You know, the Air Force and many of the other military uh, branches, they have a tradition as men and women are going through basic training and even into combat, they have a wingman. They They have a sidekick, someone who is assigned to watch their back to help them be successful, help them survive, uh, help them to be uh, su- successful in battle even. And so this wingman, this this one who walks alongside you and behind you and protects you, provides for you and teaches you and guides you, to, tries to assure your success, that's the idea. Well, we have a spiritual wingman as God's people 
the Holy Spirit of God has now come to us, each of us individually, and he is my permanent escort to glory. He'll never leave me behind. He'll never leave me on the battlefield. He will never fail in his task to deliver me to glory. Now, I might get there kicking and screaming and miserable if I don't trust in him, if I don't obey him and, and, and rely upon him. If I try to rely upon my own strength or upon my own abilities to live the Christian life and instead of trusting in him, I, will, I, will, I can be as miserable as anybody. But the Holy Spirit will not lose us. He will keep us. He will escort us. He will deliver us to glory. That's the wonderful promise we have from the New Testament. He is that guarantee that God is the down payment on glory that God has uh, prepared for all, for all of us who are his people. So the Holy Spirit now is walking with us and guiding us. Well, I, I'm kind of going on, and maybe it's given me a chance tonight as we talk about the Bible. I've been able to walk through kind of an overview history of the entire Bible for you. Uh, and and uh, then we ended up with John the Baptist, the last of the prophets uh, in the Old Testament tradition, and he is the one who introduces. Now, he was predicted uh, in the Old Testament. He's predicted by Isaiah uh, in particular, uh, this one who would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. He's spoken of in the, in the great musical, the cantata uh, by Handel, the great uh, uh, composer. He's spoken of in Handel's Messiah, the, the, the lift up the, the valleys and take down the mountains and make, make straight the pathway for be, and prepare the way for the king. That's what John the Baptist did. And Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem as predicted to uh, descendants of David, of King David, as predicted. Uh, he was uh, driven down into Egypt, as was predicted. He came back from Egypt, Egypt, took up residence in the town of Nazareth in the northern part uh, of uh, Israel, which was predicted. Uh, he, uh, comes by aid, he comes to understand by faith who he is. Uh, he grows up by faith, trusting in what God has revealed to him, that he is indeed that finally, that ultimate, that redeemer, that savior, that Jewish male who would walk faithfully with God and walk out the role of Messiah, uh, who would take upon himself the sins of the world. He presents himself to Egypt, as was predicted, and, and, and the role that was prescribed for the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth walked it out perfectly, fulfilling over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in his lifetime. Uh, and so we, we believe he is the Messiah because of that, because of his, he fulfilled the prophecies, because of the life he lived, the messages, the sermons he preached, uh, the lifestyle, his goodness, his godliness, his humility, his servant heart, a perfect life of a human being. If, if God did become a man, we would expect him to be exactly like what we see in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And as the the, the Son of God took on flesh, the incarnation, and he walked out the perfect life of a human being under submission and obedience, perfect obedience, dependence on the Father. And then uh, because of that, he then was eligible to become our representative, our Messiah, our Redeemer. And then he took our sin upon himself. I, I, I want to realize, I want to emphasize that about Messiah I want to emphasize it to kind of build a little bit on your Christology. I've mentioned this other times in the past here on the Bible Live show, but as we go through the different passages and books of the Bible. But remember, for example, I, I think one thing that highlights uh, the truth of what I'm telling you about Messiah was remember when Jesus was tempted 
by Satan after his baptism by John the Baptist. Satan tempted Jesus. Now, it was not a temptation to sin in the classic sense of sinning because if Jesus of Nazareth was the eternal Son of God, then he was God. There's no, there's no changing that. There's no, uh, there's no way to change that. There's no way that Satan could make God not be God anymore. That, but whether Jesus, the temptations of Jesus that are recorded for us in the Gospels of of John and others, they are not temptations to sin in the classic sense. What Satan is trying to get Jesus to do is act of his own initiative, of his own prerogative, of his own authority, his own rights as God. He's trying to get Jesus to act of his own initiative and prerogative as God, which he had every right to do. In fact, for example, he said, if you're the son of God, turn that stone into bread. Now, Jesus had been fasting. He was very hungry. And so, uh, obviously, that would be a temptation to turn the stone into bread so he had something to eat. But the point was he wasn't tempting Jesus to sin. Jesus had every right to turn that stone into sin if he wanted to. Uh, He created that stone, and he had the power to do it as well. But what Satan was tempting to Jesus to do was to take a shortcut to faith. Instead of trusting in the Father and following the Father's path that would lead to redemption and salvation uh, for humanity— Satan was trying to get Jesus to act of his own initiative, of his own prerogative, authority, and power as God, and which would not be wrong or sinful, but would have eliminated him from being our redeemer, from being our representative, uh, because he would have stepped out of the role of perfect submission and faith in the Father. And that was what he had to do in order to earn the right to be our Savior, our Redeemer. And so you can see even the temptations, it shows us that what Jesus was about on planet Earth, he didn't come here to start a new religion. He didn't come to planet Earth to prove that he was God. He came to Earth to carry out a work of redemption, of, re, of, of salvation, to take the, the sins of the Earth upon himself. And that's what, the, that was what we find. He said that all, all along through his ministry. Uh, in John chapter 3, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, namely me, the Messiah, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life, eternal relationship with the Father because of the redemptive work of Messiah on our behalf and because of our faith in that work. And that's, that's the message of the Bible, folks. Uh, we tell it every week to hundreds and thousands of young men and women out at Lackland and our United States Air Force recruits and trainees. And we try to tell you faithfully here on this program. On, uh, I have another program that I host across the nation, 400 stations across America, where we talk to uh, basically to Native American tribes. I'm full-blooded Apache myself, and uh, we have a program called The Storyteller, where we uh, are on 400 stations in, across the United States and Canada, and we tell the message of redemption and salvation to Native American people, Native, uh, the, the, the First Nation peoples of this continent across the United States and Canada. And so in all of these ways, we are constantly giving forth that message that God is calling you and me into an eternal relationship with himself. And it's my faith and trust and hope that you, as you listen tonight, even as I've kind of given a, an overview of the entire Bible and kind of give you a, a sense of the, of the scope and the scheme and the, the narrative of the Bible and what is that central message, I hope that you've been able to hear and see that it makes sense of our human life and our human experience. It makes sense. It's true 
the 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 creator the true and living god the creator of the universe desires that relationship with you and he has acted he has moved he has spoken in time and history to bring a revelation of himself and to carry out a work of redemption so that you could could know him and it doesn't matter your your ethnic background it doesn't matter how good or evil you might have been in your past it doesn't matter uh, your religious background uh, this isn't a matter of religiosity. Jesus didn't, as I said, didn't come to call us to a religious system. Uh, and I, religion is a part of life. And we, we allow then once you've submitted your heart and life to Jesus, the Messiah, and you've come into that relationship with God, then we trust God to lead us in all of the different areas of our life, in our finances, in our romance, in our home life, in our family life, in our career choices, and in our religious life. Allow God's Spirit, as a child of God, allow Him to lead you in the religious expression that you will give in your life. He will do that. But that's not our emphasis. Our emphasis is on letting you, wherever you come from, whatever background, letting you know that you can be reconciled to God. You can have a confident, secure relationship with the Creator of the universe. And you can know that your destiny is to be with Him forever. And you can see His power at work with you here on planet Earth to show you and teach you how you ought to live, how you ought to, uh, how we ought to carry out our human relationships, how we, what kind of citizens we ought to be in this great nation that we live in. So that is the work, that is the call, the message of salvation and redemption from the Bible. And I hope that you will hear that message tonight. And if you haven't made that decision to humble yourself and submit your life to the Savior, to the Redeemer, would you do that tonight? Just, just go to the Lord in prayer. Say, Jesus. I hear you. I answer your call. Jesus said, I'm standing at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he said, I will come in. Won't you open the door of your life tonight? Tell God. Tell Jesus that. Say, Lord, I open the door of my heart right now. I'm in this car right now, but I realize I I need you. I need your forgiveness and your cleansing of my sin, and I ask you to forgive me and to make me God's child. And begin to work with me and guide me to become the person you want me to be. Would you not pray that prayer tonight? Make it your prayer to the Lord. Begin that that uh, journey, that lifelong journey with God that will go right on into eternity. Well, while I'm here, let me answer some of the questions we put out on the airwaves tonight. What is the cornerstone of the building? It's the foundation stone, usually a huge stone upon which the entire structure of a building rests and holds together. It gives it stability. That's the cornerstone. And in Psalm 118, we're said that the stone rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. And Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, we're told in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament, Jesus the Messiah is that spiritual cornerstone. He has now become the, the stone upon which the whole building of God's people is, uh, is uh, constructed. What is the longest chapter in the Bible? It's Psalm 119. It has 176 verses. And almost every verse in Psalm 119 mentions what? Mentions God's Word. It talks about the beauty, the power, uh, the majesty of the Scriptures, the decrees, the commandments, the principles, the rules, the laws, the promises of God. It uses all those words to refer to the Scriptures. Like in Psalm 119.9, How then can a young man keep his life pure? By obeying God's word. 
What did God tell Jeremiah to buy as an expression of his faith after their defeat and exile that God would restore Israel to the land? He told him to buy a plot of land that had already fallen and was behind enemy lines. What a great step of faith. Well, that's all the time we have, folks. Good to be with you tonight here on the Bible Live Quiz Show. See you next Sunday. Listen to us Monday through Friday on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.